0: The Old Testament reading comes from Ezekiel, chapter 27, 1 to 12. You will find it on page 880. Ezekiel chapter seven, verses one, 47, 47 verses one to 12. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east the temple faced east the water was coming down from under the south side of the temple south of the altar he then brought me out through the north gate and led me round the outside of the outer gate facing east and the water was flowing from the south side as the man went eastward with the measuring line in his hand he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the sea. When it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from En Gedi to En Eglame. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Can we turn to the New Testament? John, chapter 7, verse 37 to 39 Page 1072, John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified.
1: Good morning. Oh, not one person wished me good morning. Thank you very much indeed. Today is Pentecost Sunday, and uh, some people describe Pentecost Sunday as the birthday of the church, the birthday of the church. And I think that's a legitimate label to put around Pentecost Sunday because we read in Acts chapter 2 that when the Spirit came on that group of Jesus followers in the upper room, as well as anointing them with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit sent them out into the marketplace, and you could say that was the day that the church was birthed. That was the day when a thousand people, a few thousand people gave their lives to Jesus Christ, decided to make him Lord and Savior, and the missionary movement that is Christianity that is still going on today, that's where it was birthed. It is the birthday of the church. When you think of your birthday, If you're anything like me at all, you think, presents. Yes, you do. (laughs) And you'd be so disappointed if no one gave you a present on your birthday. And I'm here with a happy message this morning that God wants to give us presents, gifts, as we celebrate the birthday of the church. And that's what my message is all about this morning. And so I want you to hear what I've got to say through that kind of a grid. Lord, what is it that you would be wanting to give to me into my life this morning? That I might be more effective at building your kingdom, that I might be more radiant for you. So would you join me in in praying right now, just for me, that the Lord would help as I speak and help us all to hear his voice. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you as we come together today, we're pointed to think about Pentecost, the day when you poured out your spirit upon the church. And we pray, Lord, that as we are meeting as your fellowship, your church this morning, you'd find it easy to speak into our lives, to get our attention. You'd find us easy to give presence to, as it were. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd help me as I speak, that I might faithfully speak of you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Just for your encouragement before I even kick off, uh, today is the spiritual birthday of one of the people who was here at our 9.30 service. They gave their lives to Christ this morning and were filled with the Spirit and whoop-a-doo. Hot dog, doesn't get better than that. So thinking about what I should talk about on uh, Pentecost Day, what particular aspects of the Holy Spirit should I talk about? I've decided unashamedly to cherry pick and to talk about some aspects of the Holy Spirit's work which I think will be most useful for us as God's followers here in Cambridge and as a family of HT. And the first thing I want to remind us that the Holy Spirit does is he transforms the situation from being deathly into life-giving. He brings life even to the deadest of dead. Right across the globe, there are a few places that are more uh, eloquent and speak most of a least likely place to find life than the Dead Sea. It's even on the tin, the Dead Sea. And I bet that some like me have been to the Dead Sea. And put a hand up if you've been to the Dead Sea. Yeah, a few of us. And um, probably you got enticed to swim in it or float in it. And uh, that's because it's so salt ridden, that kind of thing is possible. And then you discover about five minutes into floating, you wish you were not. Not that you wish you were drowning, but it's just uncomfortable and sticky and horrid. You cannot think of a place least likely to burst into life than the Dead Sea. And yet, yet, in our reading from Ezekiel chapter 47, that is precisely the place that God picks out and says, do you know, when the river of life flows, even into the Dead Sea, life can come. Not only can life come, life will come. And it's widely accepted that this picture, this vision of the river of life flowing out of the temple given to Ezekiel is a foreshadowing of the coming of the Spirit, the river of life of the Holy Spirit. And we should just see in Ezekiel 47 just a few things in the passage that will encourage us. First of all, We need to remember, this is a river. This is not a stream. This is not something domestic and domesticated that you can kind of carefully control and craft at the bottom of your garden. No, it's not like that. It it is a torrent. We're told that in this vision, Ezekiel has, he's led from ankle deep to waist deep, up to his shoulders, and then it's so deep, he says no one could cross it. You just have to give in to it. If you're gonna be in the river of life, you have to be in the center of it with your feet off the ground, letting it sweep you and take you where it wants to take you. And wherever it goes, it changes things, it transforms things. And we're told there are fish of very many kinds in this river, I love that. Because we know that a fish is very often a symbol for a believer, a Christian. There will be people of all sorts being borne along by this river of life. And there's going to be a plentiful supply of fish and fruit. And wherever it goes, it brings healing, and the trees grow, and they bring healing. It's a, it's, we're meant to be overwhelmed by a picture of luxury and goodness, of the goodness of God. But if you want to, you can dam the river. And if you stop the river flowing into a marshland, Uh, then it will become salty again. But why on earth would you want to do that? Now, I want to remind us that probably we all know people who have gloriously leapt into this river of life. And they have been transformed, have they not? And they really shine brightly for Jesus Christ. I remember going out of a church once and hearing a conversation between two good friends of mine. And one of them said to the other, oh yes, he's a real BC, isn't he? Talking about someone else that I knew. And I was kind of scratching my head and thinking, what on earth is that, a BC uh, before Christ? That doesn't sound likely. And uh, so I asked them later on, "Uh, what do you mean when you said about so-and-so that they were a BC? And they roared with laughter, my friends, and they said, oh, that's our shorthand. It stands for a blazing Christian. They're really on fire with God. You can tell, You know, they exude the presence of the Lord. And surely that's exactly what we all want as Christians. We don't want to be half-baked, kind of shine once in a millennia. We want to be on fire with God in an attractive and winsome way. Well, it's the Holy Spirit that does this, turns us from being frankly rather deadly into really lively for God. Brings alive what we believe in our hearts. One of the more remarkable people that I've ever met, that I don't know him well, but uh, I know him a little bit, is a man called Alistair McGrath. When I began as a student in Wycliffe Hall in Oxford, many years ago, Alistair began as a teacher there. And stories soon started to get around about him. And one of the stories about him, he's an academic, is that he has a total recall of every single word that he's read since about the age of 11. Now, I don't know whether that's a blessing or a curse, but he has it all the same. And uh, and A memory like a microfiche, extraordinary. So here is this guy who is, has an immense amount of knowledge, but listen to something he wrote in one of his books about a book called Knowing Christ, about the importance of actually connecting with God as a friend, rather than just knowing about him. This is what he says. He's talking about a, an observation of what it's like to live in Oxford. He said, sermons at Oxford churches with large student congregations seem to stress the importance of knowing the Bible rather than knowing Christ. They produced students who knew their Bible well, but sadly, many of those who could quote obscure biblical verses had never known the tender embrace of a loving Jesus and nestled in his care. So often the students seem to have a framework without a presence. And then he reflects, he was like that. He said, ideas without a person. It was as if a framework constructed to secure the living presence of Christ within the soul of a believer was in place, but it contained nothing. The cage was there, but there was no living roaring lion within it. Well, it's the Holy Spirit that connects us with Jesus Christ and puts the roar into the lion, and the lion into our hearts. Soon after I became a Christian, when I was about 22 years old, I was attending quite a small church in London. And uh, the church had a church weekend, and I remember this man in his 70s, uh, led the church weekend. His name was Bill Burnett, and I found out later that he was in fact the retired Archbishop of Cape Town. And he just stood in the front of a church, like I'm standing in the front of this church, and he talked to us about the things of God. But one of the stories he told was his own life story. And he described, he said, one Sunday I came back home after taking a confirmation service in a school. And I'd preached that morning, he said, on Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And God's love is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He said, I returned home, and I, I did what I usually did on a Sunday morning. I read the newspapers, and I had a gin and tonic by my side. A kind of interesting insight into the life of a bishop. And uh, then he said, the Holy Spirit seemed to say to me, go into the chapel and pray. So he said, so I went into my chapel, and I didn't really know what to do. I said to God, I know that you've asked me to pray, but I don't know what to pray, so I'm going to give my life to you again. And I'm going to surrender to you again. So he said that's exactly what he did. He just gave his life to Christ and said, now what do you want to do, Lord? And this is what he writes in his diary, his biography. At that point, something dramatic happened which has radically altered my life. The Holy Spirit came upon me in his power, so much so that my knees weakened and I sank onto the floor in adoration and praise. And I found myself praising God in a new language, and I experienced that the anger I had harbored against my father, my natural father, was healed as I forgave him. And then the bell for Sunday lunch rang and reluctantly I responded, feeling rather strange carving the chicken. Then he said, I now knew the Father's love as I had never known it before. A month of lectures on the Trinity, delivered by an erudite scholar at an English theological college, had left me intellectually and spiritually befuddled. But now, at last, I knew the Holy Spirit and the Trinity. It's he alone who renews a dislocated church. And world. And I'm trying to flag up strongly in this first point that the Holy Spirit transforms life, not just once but many many times. And it's sort of, I don't need in a way much spiritual insight to say that in a group this large it's highly probable there will be some people here this morning and you actually think your spiritual life is really in a state of decay. Because in the theme of our whole lives, there are chapters where we feel inevitably drier than others. The thing to do, though, is to recognize it and be honest about it and to ask the Lord for help in that situation. And this is as good a day as any other day, to turn to God and say, Lord, I need the refreshment of your Holy Spirit. I need to be brought back to life where I've become dry. And one of the lovely things about the power of the Spirit and bringing life where we were dead is when you meet people who are ablaze with God, you have no idea what they were like beforehand. You know, if we have met Paul the Apostle, there's no way we could have guessed that he had been Saul the Slaughterer. And it works the other way around, too. When you meet people and you know people who seem to you to be outrageously distant from God and doing all sorts of things which are despicable in God's sight, you have no way of knowing, but they could be the next person that God calls into his kingdom and they will change and be morphed totally. That is what the Holy Spirit loves to do. That is why today is a happy day. Let me tell you about someone I met who uh, was changed beyond recognition Her name is Beryl J. I met her when I became vicar of a church in Salisbury uh, some years ago now. And uh, Beryl is is now dead, but her life story went like this. She lived a really, really hard life. Uh, Her husband had walked out on her. She had four children to support. She was a cleaner and um, she was in poverty And so to try and earn some more money, she was a cleaner during the day. And for the best part of most nights, she made fireworks on her kitchen table. Can you believe that? I mean, what health and safety would have thought of that? I have no idea, but she did. One day she went to the doctors who sent her to the hospital and she was diagnosed as having cancer. And she had no idea what to do. Her life seemed to her to be just out of control. And near her home was a church. She went into that church, it was midweek, the doors were open, she went in, she sat down, in her own words and story, she just fell apart, she just burst into floods of tears, sitting in a a cold, draughty church, crying her eyes out. And as good fortune and God would have it, uh, the vicar came into the church, saw this lady in distress, and invited her to his home, gave her a cup of tea, and led her to jesus christ she gave her life to christ when she was telling me the story she said and it was amazing rupert she said as as the vicar came across and he prayed for me the doors flew open and the wind of the holy spirit came into the place and i was filled with the spirit and i was totally changed and i can believe that she was totally changed because the woman i met was a powerhouse for god and she said When she became a follower of Jesus, what really stung her was someone had said to her, Beryl, you will never achieve anything in your life. And she said when she became a a follower of Christ, everything in her welled up and she thought to herself, I jolly well will achieve plenty. And I had the pleasure of being her chaplain when she was the mayor of Salisbury tells you that she achieved something. When she opened, when she was sworn in as mayor or whatever you are as mayor, she began her speech like this. I'll get the numbers wrong, but I'm gonna estimate. She said something like, I am the 431st mayor of Salisbury. I'm the 12th lady mayor of Salisbury. But I am the first mayor of Salisbury who began their working life as a fish packer in Grimsby. The Holy Spirit completely changed that lady. She became motivated, she was highly skilled, she became a force for good in the community in which she lived. And she was never shy to talk about Jesus Christ. She became a blazing Christian. If you invite the Holy Spirit into your life, you will become a blazing Christian. That does not mean you will become obnoxious, or you will become in your face, Or insensitive and brash. No, that doesn't. That's not what I'm pointing to at all. You have become more Christ-like. And he was none of those things. But you couldn't uh, not notice him. He was gentle and kind. You have become like Jesus Christ. That's the first thing I wanted to highlight. The Holy Spirit moves us from death to life. And also while I'm just sort of on that page before I forget to say it. When you jump into the river of life, just like that archbishop who said he could forgive his father, I think one of the things that happens is you become enabled to let go of the things that you know were holding you back. The things that actually you know were causing death to you, a living death. Sometimes it's relationships, sometimes it's bitterness, Sometimes it's the kind of things you know are unclean in your life and you know that God wishes you could get rid of, not because he's a killjoy, but because he wants to bring joy. But you can't do it in your own strength and the Holy Spirit allows you to get them off your back, literally to get the monkey off your back if you like. Okay, here's a second area I'm going to highlight. When the Spirit comes, he brings power. Power to enable us to live a godly life and to do what God asks us to do. Now, I confess to you, I don't really like that heading. And the reason I don't like talking about the Holy Spirit and his power is because I've actually met too many power-hungry people, and it's pretty ugly. Raw power on its own, it's terribly carnal. We know that all power corrupts. And so that's not what I'm really talking about. I am talking about the power to live a godly life. And the reason I'm forced into this corner to talk about it is because Jesus identifies the coming of the Spirit with the power to live a godly life. He says in Acts 1 verse 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So what kind of power exactly? Let me help us here with a couple of observations. Well, it's supernatural power. Power poured out from on high. And it's suprarational. That's to say it's above and beyond rationalization or a rational explanation. Take Acts 2, the Pentecost event when they went out into the streets and they started to speak, and the people from all over the countryside, from all Judea, the Medes and the Edomites and the visitors from Mesopotamia and all the others, heard them speaking in their own native language. And they all scratched their head and said, what is going on here? They were bewildered. They were amazed. They were perplexed. And by and large, we are bewildered and amazed and perplexed when we see the supernatural power of God come upon people and working its way through the church. Because we can't explain it, but that doesn't make it any of the less real. Spiritual gifts, which we celebrate today, the gifts of Pentecost, are God's gifts poured out from above. They're not a polishing of an innate talent you already have. There's something added to you simply by the goodness of God. Like many in this church and this fellowship, I speak in tongues, the spiritual gift of tongues. It's a language that God gives his people to build his people up. I don't understand the words I speak. It's a gift given to me by the Holy Spirit. I don't even understand how it works. But I know from the scriptures and I know from experience that when you speak in tongues, you are strengthened. You are built up. That's just one of a number of spiritual gifts. Other gifts mentioned in the scriptures are prophecy and words of knowledge and words of wisdom. I think you could group that little group, you could call them if you wanted to, um, gifts of revelation. And God loves to reveal to people individually that he's on their case, that he knows them. You know, it's one thing to read in the scriptures I've loved you with an everlasting love. And that's true. It's one thing to read in the scriptures, God saying, I know you by name. And that's true. But it's another thing as happened just a fortnight ago here in this church when the speaker at the front, Mike Pilavachi, as it happens, says, um, I think there's someone here who last night at 6.30, you were calling out to God and you were saying, God, if you love me, I need you to show me that. And then someone in the congregation comes forward and says to Mike, Yeah, that was me. You and I can understand that's a different order of things, isn't it? It's so helpful that the Holy Spirit brought that to pass. And I'm trying to remind us what I know you know already, that God has good gifts for us, His church. And it's important we should be hungry for them and want to receive them so the kingdom can go forward. Gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4 and Romans chapter 12. Gifts like healing and administration and serving and compassion and generosity and encouragement and teaching and leadership and celibacy and martyrdom. And I wonder out of that list, you know, does your heart kind of beat faster for any of them? And when I was preaching at the 9.30 service, I, I said to them, you know, shall I be cruel or shall I be kind? And I said, I'll be cruel. So why don't I be cruel to you too? And say, so, you know, I wonder which of the gifts you gravitate towards. And this is where it's cruel. If, if you are immature and carnal, so I'm sorry about that, you will have grabbed towards the most spectacular. But if you would allow Scripture to talk to you, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12, since you're eager to have spiritual gifts, strive for the gifts that would build up the church. So actually, what I want to encourage us individually and as a fellowship is to think, Lord God, which of these spiritual gifts would most bless the fellowship of Holy Trinity and most allow us to be effective in building your kingdom? Well, Lord, that's the gift I want to receive. And, of course, the picture in the scripture is that within the body of Christ, all these gifts should be present. I love it. I love the fact that actually you can look around you and most probably you can think of people who illustrate these gifts in practice. I was just thinking it's a pretty obvious thought, but it has to be that some of our fellowship have the spiritual gift of generosity. That has to be true, because the amount of generosity from our fellowship that enables this ministry to go forward week by week and enables us to do this humongous building project of over three and a half million pounds, that's not normal. When I tell people the story of what's going on, they say, well, where's the money come from? And it doesn't come from anybody, any individual's crock of gold. It comes from the whole fellowship, the whole family of HT. And it's going to have to continue to be like that if a ministry are going to continue to grow. But the same is true of encouragement. You know, we need encouragement. We need teaching. We need administrative gifts. We, it would be lovely if God raised up prophets. And what I'm saying and reminding us is, If we're gonna see God's kingdom come, it's gonna need more than our natural skill. Though you have natural skill, that won't be enough. We need to say, Holy Spirit, you come. You give us the anointing, the gifting that we need. You know, if you could stop and you could talk, here's a very obvious example, to the best evangelists that we've ever seen, to Billy Graham say, he would be first to say, he's written it in his autobiography, He he says, it's not my skill that gets people to give their life to Christ. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So call upon God for help and strength. Okay, a couple of uh, quick other points before we actually move to a time of, of prayer. The Holy Spirit gives us God's character. As well as the charisma, the gifts, the character of God. Now... There's one big difference between the gifts and the character. The charisma and the character. Gifts are given like that, just of a moment. Someone prays for you to receive the gift of tongues, and you receive the gift of tongues. And bang, that's it, of a second. But sadly, but this is how God does it, his character isn't given to us just like that. It's like I've never yet met someone who was suddenly prayed for, Lord, make so-and-so gentle, and bang, they became gentle. Or kind. Or long-suffering. Or joyous. Or loving. The character of God is ingrained into us, bit by bit, grafted into us. But we can understand easily how important it is that we should become Christ-like in our character. We need to pray about it, but we need to take every opportunity to grow in it. You only become patient when you have the opportunity to be impatient. You only become kind, really, when you have the opportunity and choice to have exercised unkindness. And it's a cooperation between you and your will and the Spirit of God. Many years ago, I heard about uh, a guy who went forward for prayer at the end of a service rather like this. And um, he said to the vicar, I'd like you to pray for me, please, that I would um, get out of bed at 7 o'clock in the morning to have a quiet time every day. And the vicar, who was a canny old chap, said, "Um, well, I will pray for you, but here's the deal. God will do a deal with you. If you get your first leg out of bed, he'll help you with the second. And, you know, it's cooperation. You won't suddenly become full of a fruit of the Spirit, until you decide you're going to cooperate with God. But the Holy Spirit will do that. And in a moment of honesty, actually, this morning could be a good day to say, Lord, you know, I am bored of being grumpy. Or whatever it is. (laughs) Lord, would you help me? Because when I look in the mirror, what I see isn't incredibly like you, Jesus Christ but if your Holy Spirit will help, I could become like you and that's what I want. Last point about the Holy Spirit. We have to notice at Pentecost that the Holy Spirit is a spirit of movement, that he moves people out with the gifts that he's given. He moves the church forward and on. He he moves that river of life is never still. If we pray for lots of the Holy Spirit in our community, I would expect to see people being called and sent. It doesn't necessarily mean ordained, but it certainly means being alive to the fact that God would, might well step into your life and your diary and your calendar and your dreams and change them completely. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. We're saying, I'm willing to be led by you. And he sends us out to the ends of the earth. So, as I close, how do we receive? I think this is where most people struggle. But probably you could have given this talk up to this point. But how do we receive is a question I'm often asked. And I would say, there are as many different ways of receiving as there are to say getting into a swimming pool. You know, some people run in and they just love it. They just jump before they even feel the water or even look to see if there is any water. But other people do exactly the opposite, and they kind of put a toe in, and they think, "Oh, oh, that's rather cold," and they kind of go away for a half an hour and come back, and discover it's still rather cold. But they get in eventually. There is no one way. Some people are reluctant. Some people are enthusiastic. You do, though, have to go through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in that promise that was read out in John 7:37. Jesus stood up and said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes, as the scripture said, streams of living water will flow. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. We need to go to Jesus to ask. And then it seems in scripture that sometimes the spirit comes sovereignly, like at Pentecost. They were just all together in one room and the spirit fell upon them. But sometimes he comes when people pray for an individual. They lay hands on them. They impart a blessing. And this morning we're going to try our hand at both. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come sovereignly. And we're going to take the opportunity to ask people to pray for us. There are a couple of things that I advise you not to do though. Here's a couple of ways you can make it harder for yourself. And so i just suggest you don't. One is, don't become an observer. Don't allow analysis paralysis to take you over. What do I mean by that? Well, the kind of thing that would happen would, if you were gonna fall into this one, would be the person at the front would pray and you just have your eyes open and you're watching what goes on all around you and you'd say, oh. I knew God would never touch that person after all, they dot, dot, dot. Or then you'd see that someone over there and you you'd say, huh? I knew she'd be away with the fairies, she always is, that's so predictable. And then the next thing you think is, ah, oh, I knew God would never bless me, he never does. Well actually he never will if you have all that in your head. And the reason I can describe it quite well is because I've been there. I know that territory. And it's no good. I mean, I can't stop you being an analyst if you want to, or a critic if you want to, but just know this. For so long as you ascribe yourself a job as being critic, you're not going to be on the receiving end. You're an outsider because you're opting out. And that's not the same as jumping into the river of life. So I I kind of want to say to you, give up that territory because it's not going to bless you. And the second... Thing I advise against is feeling that you have to react in any particular way. That you have to mimic someone else's reaction or you have to perform in some way. You don't, you don't. I've come to the conclusion after many years of uh, praying for others and trying to receive myself, I've come to the conclusion that people are wired in many many different ways and what you see on the outside is no real indication of what's going on in the heart whatsoever. I've just given up guessing. I think partly one of the reasons I've given up guessing is self-defense because I know whenever I've gone forward for prayer in 99 times out of 100 there's nothing visible to see when you pray for Rupert. I always think it must look so unrewarding for the poor person or people praying for me. You know, you just stand there, and you stand there. And they pray lovely prayers, and nothing outwardly seems to happen. But what I'm sort of longing to say to them is, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up, because inside is a responsive heart. It's just that, I don't know why, only about twice in my life has someone prayed for me and something demonstrably has happened, like fallen over or something like that. And I'm afraid I'm sufficiently stubborn. I'm blowed if I'm gonna fall over just to please you. But, but I'll open my heart to please God every day of a week because why not? And I'm not afraid to ask for his Holy Spirit to come because without his Holy Spirit's help in my life, I'm powerless. I'm loveless, I'm not a half a person I should be. So I'm just saying that to you, so that when in a second I invite us all to stand and to pray, you you take the pressure off yourself. You don't feel that you're gonna be marked or judged, and you don't have to do anything, but if you want to, you can say to the Father, Lord, I've heard all about your Holy Spirit. Today's the day I need to receive from you. Let's give it a whirl. Would you like to stand?